Hi there, I'm Dan, and welcome, or welcome back, maybe, to the Shaw Vineyard Church Podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take just a moment to subscribe in iTunes or in your podcast app of choice. That way, you can get every message from our church straight away on whatever device best suits you. You know, it's our hope that the message that you're about to hear in this episode would encourage you to take your best next step in your faith journey. So let's get straight into it. It's our Advent series, and as we've been saying, this is a special season of the church. Four weeks, especially Sundays, leading up to Christmas. Advent means um, preparation, essentially. It's a time of deepened awareness. And we travel in our own way with the people of the story. We're moving towards this moment of recognition that God has been born. God is entering the human story. And our focus this year is listening to voices of those who were present at this cosmic turning point. Some of the voices we know well, and some maybe we've avoided, others are simply faint and they're harder to tune into. In amongst the whole narrative, there are angels, there are kings, there are seers, there are priests, there are peasants, There are craftsmen, shepherds, men, and importantly, I think, women and children. And they're all here for a reason. We can't hear from all of these voices in our series, but we're going to do our best just to turn up the volume on a few special ones as we track towards Christmas, which is the Feast of the Nativity, right? It's the birth party. So not only are there voices, but... We're going to see this event in history through the eyes of artists, or actually this morning, more specifically, photographers from around the world. And just staying away from a Eurocentric perspective in recognition that Jesus belongs to every human family and race. Our hope is there'll be some fresh insights, some moments of healing or restoration for us that will be moved to acts of compassionate justice, and I don't think there's any other kind of justice. And that in the bright and dark parts of these stories, we would recognize ourselves and make room, as Mary did, for Christ to be incarnated in us. So this morning's voices fall into the category of um, the voices we might prefer to avoid (laughs) or that require more effort for us to listen to because they're so uncomfortable. One is an inconsolable cry of anguish and grief and fear. And the other is the terrifying voice of power and jealousy and fear. The voices of Rachel and King Herod may seem incongruent, even inappropriate as we're hanging wreaths and buying presents and maybe planning a Christmas menu. What place does a victim and a perpetrator have in this season of preparation for Christmas? But the truth is they are part of the nativity narrative. Right here is where the dark parts of the story come to the fore. And you don't get much darker than the ruthless, systematic slaying of every boy under two years of age in your efforts to hold on to your power. And the pit of grief that yawned before those mothers and fathers in Fano was surely the darkest and most powerless time of their lives. 
So here's the story. We're just leaning into Matthew's narrative uh, for this uh, portion today. The birth narratives are just found in Luke's Gospel and Matthew's. So just listen. Try and hear it as if you're hearing it for the first time. So the wise men have appeared and said that they're looking for um, this king that is to be born. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly. And he ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you've found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Sneaky. Now, when they had departed... Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose, took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Oh, wasn't expecting that. at a time when messianic hopes ran high in Israel. They weren't loving being ruled by the pagan Romans. Herod had good reason to be troubled because his de position depended on staying in with those very Romans. It's a tough job being a puppet king. Maybe you can't even trust your own family. 
That's why you had to kill your sons. Yeah, not just one, but three of them. How else can Herod the Great remain great? The secret police help. It's good to know what's going on. But they don't know everything. How handy. These three wise guys have shown up. They're the only people who know when that frickin' star first appeared. And seeing as they're in my country, they have to play by my rules. They will tell me and me alone when all this began. And they will report to me when they find this Messiah, God's king. How ridiculous. I am God's king. So I know where the kid will be. Thank you, prophets, priests, and scribes. You've been a great help. I know how many kids could potentially be the one. Thank you, foreign star scientists. Now I just have to send you to Bethlehem, and you'll do the last bit of work in locating the household. Cue evil laughter. Mwahaha. To anyone familiar with the history of Israel, you might have noticed there are some similarities between Moses and Jesus. Both are Hebrews. Both are to save their people. Both are in Egypt. Both are perceived to be a threat to the established power structures. Both fathers had dreams concerning the threat to their sons' lives and that God had significant plans for each child. Both are threatened by a royal decree that authorized the killing of Hebrew baby boys. Matthew intends for us to notice this. It's evidence. Jesus is the new Moses. Whether it's Pharaoh or Caesar, the people are still not free from their captivity. The promised redeemer is awaited, and Moses' story, like Jesus' story, has humble beginnings threatened by death. But Jesus is the one. This Slaughter of children is much speculated about. Why don't we see it in the histories of the time by writers such as Josephus? And the answer may lie in the fact that the final years of Herod's reign were so brutal and bloody that it simply may not have registered as being worthy of mention. The estimated number of little boys is between 5 and 20, based on what the population of Bethlehem would have been. So on the one hand, that doesn't sound like very many and might account for why it never made it into the history books. But on the other hand, if this was your baby boy, your nephew, your grandson, and all his little buddies, it's off the charts. Matthew is really clear that these events were not ordained by God. It's an important distinction. His use of the word tote, or then, conveys the idea that these innocent victims in Bethlehem were murdered by Herod's wicked command, not by divine decree. So while Matthew believed this tragedy fulfilled prophecy, he knew it didn't occur because God willed it. This same then is used by Matthew concerning Judas's betrayal of Jesus. Matthew doesn't hold God responsible for Herod's rampage or Judas's treachery and neither should we. So, what is it about Rama and this place where Rachel is? 
Rama is associated with the great patriarch Jacob, one of the founding fathers of the Israelite nation. His beloved first wife, Rachel, died after giving birth to her second son, and he buried her there at Ramah on the way to Bethlehem. Her greatest prayer was to be a mother, but in giving birth, she died. However, her legacy is that she became a mother to the nation through her two sons, not only her sons, but she's definitely up there amongst the mothers of the nation of Israel. And Rama is also associated with one of the two most traumatic events of Israel's history at that time, which were the Egyptian enslavement that was 430 years in captivity and no holidays, and then later the Babylonian captivity. So the lines that Matthew quotes from come from that very time from the Babylonian captivity, from the lips of Jeremiah the prophet, who, like most of his countrymen, was captured and enslaved by King Nebuchadnezzar of the Chaldeans. So some of those captives deported to Babylon passed through Ramah, and Jeremiah, in his prophetic message, described Rachel, kind of the mother of the nation, something of an archetype, if you like, weeping inconsolably and bitterly over losing her children as they're led into captivity. So Matthew draws on these two periods, Egypt and Babylon, when Israel most needed a messianic deliverer to emphasize what's happening with Jesus. He is the promised Messiah. He fits the pattern of Moses and he fills the picture sketched out by the prophets over the centuries. So Herod and Rachel, strange bedfellows really, aren't they? They're connected, but they never meet. The decree to massacre the toddlers and babies of Bethlehem and Judah places Rachel, this kind of archetype of all the bereaved mothers, in Herod's grasp. But he never hears her cries, nor carries out a killing himself. He has people for that. She is nameless to him. His name, though, is acid on her tongue. These two, the victim and the perpetrator, are part of Jesus' story. His experience of being a refugee as a little child was a direct result of this threat. Mary might have had some survivor guilt on returning safely with her son when all her friends have lost their boys of his age. It's often said, and maybe we've experienced this ourselves, that Christmas is a difficult time for those who've lost loved ones, especially when they've died tragically, especially when they've died around Christmas time. We heard it ourselves just last week, actually, a Samoan community leader, Telalai Edwin Puni, who's going back to Samoa this week for Christmas, says he expects it to be very different this year. Usually, this time of year, it's Christmas, it's celebrations. But we're going into a very somber atmosphere. There are no big parties in Samoa. Everyone is just trying to make sure their families are safe and their children make it to another year, he said. And this is Elsie Lolesio. Hers is the face of grief at losing her only daughter, Noel, named for Christmas, at 18 months of age to measles. 
the families who lost loved ones on Fakari, who isn't thinking of them right now? Those tears will not stop flowing for a long time yet. The Mexican parents, still separated from their children in US detention centers, 5,400 as of October 25th, 2019. The little boys on Nauru and Manus Islands, children of asylum seekers, with no hope of leaving those islands and they have just had any hope of medical evacuation removed from them if they have a medical crisis. And the tamariki uplifts here in Aotearoa. All are current examples of what we might call institutional injustice, which is Herod by another name. One thing is for sure, Rachel is still weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted for their loss. Advent allows us to travel through this difficult terrain. Done properly, it makes us look at the violence we do to ourselves through jealousy and fear of others. It shows us the ugly fruit of power when it's wielded in selfishness. The massacre of the holy innocents, the only name we have for those little boys, calls to us to stay with those who are mired in loss, to hear their loud lamentation and not try to make them be quiet. Those tears are for God to dry. If Christmas is only about presents and food and holidays, it will be unbearable and shallow for us when we find there are empty places at our table. We need Rachel because she gives us permission to grieve without restraint. 2,000 years on, we hear you, Rachel. Your powerlessness to stop what happened helps us in our own powerlessness. We are not alone. You've been here before, and you are here with us as part of our community of saints. However, this leads, leaves us with the slightly awkward question of what to do with Herod, the so-called great. What, if anything, can we draw from his life and behavior? I've been asking myself, actually, if maybe we all have a little bit of Herod in us, this might be hard to admit to, but if we're honest, who hasn't felt threatened by the arrival of a new person on the team? Who hasn't been a teensy bit jealous? Who hasn't wished that the problem person could be somehow disappeared from our lives? Who hasn't used their power inappropriately at some time? Power over a child, an employee, a colleague, a relative, or a friend? Who hasn't? felt fear, and reacted badly to it. I don't know whether you're familiar with the phrase to do violence to yourself, but we do violence to ourselves when we do things that are counter to our true self. We do violence to ourselves by the wrong we do to others. It's a bit paradoxical, I guess, but the knock-on effect of what we do to others, as Jesus explained so beautifully, is either damaging or healing to ourselves. 
So as we come to a close this morning, we're just going to have a time of reflection. And we're going to tune in for a moment to both of these voices. Neither of them are easy, are they? But one or both will touch into something for you and for me. And let's trust that as we're courageous in listening, we'll cross a threshold into healing of something uh, in us. The, er the church, since the earliest times, placed great store, oh, there's Rachel, in this simple prayer, the Kyrie eleison. I realize that you can't read that small type probably, but it's just a list of the many people who've prayed, Lord, have mercy, in the scriptures. So at the end of each portion of uh, reflection, I will say, Lord, have mercy, and I invite you to echo it back to me in response and we'll trust that this prayer says everything we need to say out loud so let's practice I'll say Lord have mercy and you say good so that way we're all participating it's not just my prayer so I invite you now just to close your eyes and to be still And with the ears of your heart, listen to the world. Where in the world right now is Rachel weeping for her children? And just be present to that in your heart. Lord, have mercy. Beautiful. And just staying in that place, listen now with the ears of your heart to our land, to our Aotearoa. Where in our land is Rachel weeping for her children? Be present to that. Lord, have mercy. Staying in that space, listen now with the ears of your heart to your own life. Let God lead you through your memories. Where in your own life is Rachel weeping for her child? I invite you to receive God's love. Lord, have mercy. Just staying in that space, let's listen now for Herod in the world. Where in the world right now is Herod at work with impressive projects but acting in blind ruthlessness towards mothers, fathers, children and their futures in order to stay in power? Where do you see leadership that concerns you?
be present to that. Lord, have mercy. Let's listen now for Herod in our land. Where are their lives not growing to fullness because of poor exercise of power? Or violence, selfishness or fear? Hold these lives before the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Listening now to Herod in our own lives, try not to shy away. Where have you been a victim of someone else's power over you? How have you suffered? Because of institutional justice? or because someone was jealous or threatened by your arrival on the scene. Rachel says you're allowed to grieve this. Lord, have mercy. And listen closely now. Let Jesus lead the way. When have I felt threatened and responded badly? When have I done violence to myself by my jealousy or my fear, my selfishness? When have I schemed or manipulated to get my way? Lord, have mercy. So, let's stand together, shall we? Thank you for that back and forth. We were all travelling together through there. Friends, we're all Rachel and Herod, a little bit, sometimes, maybe most of the time, one or the other, I don't know. We all experience loss and fear. But grace and mercy is enough. So in my selfishness, Lord, have mercy. In my sorrow, Lord, have mercy. So we're coming to a close now. And so as we do so, I just invite you to close your eyes and let me bless you. We've done big work this morning. So... May you experience the grace and joy, peace and hope of the Holy Trinity. May you know that you are held in the divine dance. May you experience today the beauty of fellowship. May you experience a lightness of heart as you move out of here this morning. Because you've worked hard 
and you've worked well. May you be blessed by the one who has sung songs over you since before you were. May you move from here in love. And I pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. And if you're in the Forest Hill or the Bays area of Auckland's North Shore, we would so love to have you at our next service this Sunday. You can get details on service times and more info on our kids and student environments by visiting svc.org.nz. That's svc.org.nz. Hope you have a great day and we'll see you next time here on the podcast. Thank you.